Well, this morning we are starting a brand new sermon series on the letter of James. So let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. Very powerful letter. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about this. Lots of Christians think that because Jesus gives us abundant life, that therefore Christians, if it's abundant life, we won't have any trials, right? Lots of Christians think that because Jesus gave us abundant life, that must mean that for following Christ, we'll be free from trials. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Jesus himself said in John 16, to his disciples, in the world, you will have tribulation. Abundant life, yes, in the world, you will have tribulation. Paul said in Acts chapter 14, as he's preaching to churches he's planted, he said, the road to heaven goes through many afflictions. Many afflictions. So here you are, you're looking ahead, here's the road taking you to heaven, and that road has many afflictions on it. And so followers of Jesus, those who are beloved by the Lord, those who are experiencing his abundant life, will go through trials. And so it's crucial that we learn how to respond to trials. And that's where James starts his letter. But before we go there, let's raise another question first, and that is, who is James, just so we're clear on this, and who's he writing to? It's important to understand that, to understand the letter. So who is James, and who's he writing to? James is the brother of Jesus, half-brother, technically, brother of Jesus. And in John's gospel, we read that during Jesus' earthly ministry, James was not one of his followers. He was not interested in following Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. But what we read is that Jesus, after he died and rose again, he personally appeared to James, his brother. And it's probably at that point in time when James' his eyes were opened, he saw this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. He fell down to his knees, worshipped him, put his trust in him, and was born again. So James was saved. Then God called James to be an apostle. This is very important. This is why James is in our Bibles, because apostles were gifted to write truth directly from God himself. So James' letter is the very words of God that God gave James to write. So he was an apostle. Not only was he an apostle, he lived what he taught. One reason we know that is that in A.D. 64, church historians tell us that James was arrested, brought before a tribune of... Uh, a, a, a court of Pharisees, and they said, James, either you deny Christ or we're going to stone you to death. James loved Jesus. He said, I cannot deny my Lord. And they stoned him to death. That's who, whose letter we're reading today. He was an eyewitness of Jesus, life, death, resurrection. He was an apostle who wrote words directly from God. And he loved Jesus so much, he'd rather be stoned to death and deny his Lord. And you're holding his letter in your hands this morning. This is the letter of James that we get to study over these next weeks and months. Now, who's he writing to? Verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, he says, greeting. So, 12 tribes in the dispersion, that probably refers to Jewish believers who had been part of James' church. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So Jewish believers, 
part of the church in Jerusalem, the church that James was the leader of, and persecution had broken out, as we read in the early chapters of Acts, and many had to flee Jerusalem. So probably this letter is written to some Jewish believers who had been part of that church who had to flee as refugees from the persecution in Jerusalem. And that may be why James starts his letter talking about how to deal with trials and suffering and hardships, because that's what they were experiencing. So look at what James says about trials, verses 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Powerful truths here. Now, let's be clear on what sort of trials James is talking about. What does he mean when he says, when you meet trials? So read verse 2 again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What's he talking about? The Greek word trials refers to anything you come up against in your life which causes difficulty, distress, pain, or hardship. Anything. And, and James wants us to make sure we understand that it's anything because he says when you meet trials of various kinds. So anything in your life that causes pain, difficulty, suffering, hardship, it's covered here in verse 2. So this could be long lines at Lulu's, which isn't a very... We understand it's big, but it's not as, as big as, as like being diagnosed with cancer, for example. So we're covering the whole range here. Or having, having your computer crash, which is a little bit more painful than long lines at Lulu's, all the way to having a child who is rebellious and wayward, which is heartbreaking. So James is covering the whole range of different trials that we face. That's what he's talking about here. And so I would guess that every single one of us in this room this morning has at least one trial that you're facing. Might be a relatively minor one, might be huge and heartbreaking. But I would guess every one of us has a trial we're facing. And I'd like you to pick, pick one trial to focus on so that we, you can apply this passage to it. Okay, now here's the one that, that I'm applying to my life. Jan and I have had a little bit of difficulty with, in our villa with water leaks and mold. Anybody else ever have a difficulty like that? I hear that that's not uncommon, okay? And again, this is a relatively small trial. We're not suffering a whole lot right now, but this is, this is the one I picked. So water leak and mold. So for a long time, water was slowly leaking down through the wall between our wall and the wall person next to us, slowly eating away at this cabinet that was there. And so mold, and we could tell something was terribly wrong. And then when we started putting our hand through the cabinet doors and stuff, we could tell that there were, were problems here. So the, some workers came took out the cabinet. We were so excited this was going to happen. So the cabinet left, and then when the cabinet left, the walls were thick with mold. It was just like thick. Ugh. Okay, so you know how mold, oh, it's terrible. So then, then workers came. We were excited. They cleaned out the mold, and they, they painted. So that was very good news. But man, that paint smells strong, Have you, right? You know about that paint, right? And so it just wafted through the entire house. Okay, so you get the idea. 
And now, now the mold is growing back through the paint, it looks like. Okay, so, right, you understand how this happens? So, again, relatively small trial in the overall scheme of things. But James would want me to think about that trial. He doesn't say just the big trials. When you meet trials of various kinds, molds and water leaks to the passing of your husband or your wife. I mean, the whole range he wants us to be thinking about here. So do you have a trial in mind? Okay, let's all have one in mind. Do you you have one in mind? Now let's take that trial and let's apply it to what James is saying here. So what should we do when we meet these trials? James tells us what we should do in verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So think about that trial you're in right now. James would say, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Now, what does that mean? Some study I did in this passage, we could think that the phrase all joy means that we should feel only joy when we face trials. But I don't think that's what that means. One reason is Jesus who Hebrews says went to the cross for the joy set before him. So there was some joy in Jesus' heart as he suffered that incredible trial. But at the same time, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was deeply distressed and troubled, right? So joy in God and sorrow can be together in our hearts. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as he describes his heart, he says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So in Paul's heart, joy and sorrow can stand together. And so I don't think what James means here is that we should feel only joy because that same Greek phrase, translated all joy, can also mean true joy, real joy, genuine joy, heartfelt joy. And that joy can coexist with sorrow and with weeping. You've experienced that, haven't you? You can have joy in Christ with tears, right? So there's a complexity to the Christian's emotional life. Let's make sure we understand that, and that's what's being expressed here. Now, here's how Douglas Moo put this in his commentary. This was so helpful for me to read this week. He says, James does not then suggest that Christians facing trials will have no response other than joy, as if we were commanded never to be saddened by difficulties. His point, rather, is that trials should be an occasion for genuine rejoicing. Genuine rejoicing. So it's not that, oh, okay, I don't need to rejoice. I can just be sad and grumble. No, that's not what James is saying. He's saying we need to have genuine rejoicing in our trials, but that genuine rejoicing can coexist with heartbreak and sorrow and mourning. Does that make sense? So important. So Again, the challenge is, it's not hard to sorrow and be brokenhearted and to be mourning. That's not hard to do. What's hard to do is to have the genuine joy, right? So think about the trial you're going through right now. Big, small. Are you experiencing genuine rejoicing as you're going through that trial? I thought about that in terms of our mold and water leak, and I not not like James would want me to have. And I would guess all of us need more of this joy. So, how is that possible to have joy, to feel genuine joy 
as we're going through the trials of our lives. How's that possible? Because trials are hard. Trials cause pain, difficulty. So why, James, should we have joy when we go through trials? Why? Now, this is such an important question to ask. Too many Christians don't ever ask that question. They just think, I'm supposed to be joyful. Okay, I'm supposed to be joyful, so I'm going to just try really hard to be joyful, try to be positive through this trial, try to look on the bright side or try to find the silver lining in the cloud. But see, that's not what James is talking about here. If you do those things, you'll miss what James is talking about here. Look at what he says. Let's read verses 2 and 3 together to see why we can have joy when we go through trials. Verses 2 and 3 together. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And notice that word for at the beginning of that verse. Underline, circle that word for right there. That shows that verse 3 is giving us the reason why we can feel genuine joy. So when I don't have genuine joy in my trials, it's because I'm not seeing this verse. And the way to get genuine joy in trials, the way to obey what James is saying, is to see verse 3. Here what James is giving us is two crucial truths. Two truths. That if we'll understand them and believe them and trust them, we will have genuine joy in the midst of our trials. The first truth is in that phrase, testing of your faith. Underline that word testing. Now that word testing can mean one of two very different things. It can mean a testing that evaluates your faith to see whether you have faith or not. Or it can be a testing that purifies your faith, strengthens your faith, deepens your faith. And because this test produces steadfastness, I think it's the latter. I think what James is talking about here is a testing that purifies our faith. So the first truth we need to see is that trials are sent by God to purify, to refine our faith. That's the first truth to understand. Trials are lovingly, wisely allowed into my life by God to purify my faith, to purify your faith. That's why you're going through the trial you're going through. One of the reasons. There's many other reasons I'm sure God has. That's one reason. Now, how do trials purify our faith? How does that really happen? And they purify our faith by helping us see how temporary and insecure everything else is except for Jesus Christ, right? Trials can affect just everything to show how temporary everything else is, how insecure everything else is. So we see that Jesus Christ, you are lasting. You're the rock. You're the cornerstone. I'm going to trust in you all the more because everything else is temporary and insecure. Now, so back to our, our mold water leak issue. So God purposefully allowed that water leak. This is one reason why purposefully allowed that water leak and those moldy cabinets and the smelling of the paint and all that stuff in order to help me see I'm never going to have a perfect home here on the earth. Okay? Never. Right? Never will I have a perfect home here on the earth. Jesus Christ is my perfect home. No water leaks, no molds, right? Jesus Christ is my perfect home. And so to put my trust all the more in Jesus Christ. You're my home. 
You're my refuge. You're my comfort. You're my God. And in the process of thinking, look at how insecure, how unstable homes are, water pipes are, everything else is. Jesus Christ, you are not insecure. You are completely stable. And so I trust you all the more. In the process of praying that through, my faith was stronger in Jesus than it was before the trial came. My faith this Friday is more refined and purified than my faith was last Friday. Aren't you glad? You should be glad. This is a good thing. Okay? Yes. That's what happens. Now, this doesn't happen though automatically. If we grumble through trials, is our faith going to be refined or purified? No, not at all. If we just try to be positive through trials, is our faith going to be refined or purified? No, not at all. The way trials purify and refine our faith is if we will take the time to say, now, Father, show me how insecure and temporary everything else is so that I will see how lasting and secure and permanent Jesus Christ is. And I'm going to put my trust all the more in your holy son Jesus right now. And when you take the time to pray and do that, your faith will be purified and refined. That's one reason we can feel genuine joy in trials, is because we know that God has allowed that trial, and one of the reasons is to purify our faith. Okay, but what's so great about purified faith? I mean, let's be honest here. Trials are hard. Trials cost us. Trials are difficult. What's so great about purified faith that makes it worth going through the trials? Fair question, right? And look at what James says. Read 2 and 3 again, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing, that the purifying of your faith produces steadfastness. That's what purified, refined faith does. It produces steadfastness. In other words, James wants us to understand that every trial we face has been lovingly and wisely allowed by God in order to bless us with the gift of, the precious gift of steadfastness. See, this is so important. Trials are not bad luck. Trials are not bad karma. Trials are lovingly, wisely, ordained by God, allowed by God, in order to bring us a very special gift, the gift of steadfastness. Okay, now, that's good news, but, but why is steadfastness such a precious gift? Why is steadfastness such a precious gift? Verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so, so get the progression here. Trials are allowed by God to purify and refine our faith, because as our faith is purified and refined, we receive more steadfastness, and what steadfastness does is it brings us to a place where we are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that mean? Now, I, I used to think that that meant that there was a time in our life here on earth when we would be, could be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. That's what I used to think it meant. But as I studied this passage, and I looked at how James uses the word perfect in the rest of his letter, and I noticed that in chapter 3, verse 2, James says we will never be perfect in this life. 
Go ahead and turn there. Chapter 3, verse 2. Here's what James says. He's talking about how we all sin with our tongue. We'll get there in James chapter 3. Powerful passage. Everybody sins with their tongue. None of us are sinless when it comes to our speech. This last week, none of us have perfect speech. Can anybody attest to the truth of that? Okay, that's just how it is. And so James says that in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, we all stumble. He's talking about sinning. We all stumble. We sin in many ways. We all, we, Apostle James and all the rest of us, right? So even though Jesus Christ has broken the power of sin in our lives, he is progressively applying that to us all through our lives here. So you are more free from sin now than you were a year ago, but you're not perfect yet, and you won't become perfect until what? Jesus comes back. Then you become sinless. We're growing now. No, nobody should be staying the same. We're growing, becoming less and less sinful. Sin's power is being broken, but we will not become perfect until the life to come. So James says in chapter 3, verse 2, we all sin, we stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And James' point is, no one can do that. No one is perfect in this life. So, James is saying in chapter 3, verse 2, none of us are perfect this side of heaven. And now, with that in mind, read chapter 1, verse 4 again. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if we're not perfect this side of heaven, could this mean, could James be talking about what we will experience when Jesus comes back and when we're in heaven? And then I read the ESV, the English Standard Version Study Bible Notes. And here's what they said. Steadfastness leads ultimately to perfection. Believers grow in holiness but are not yet perfected in it, such perfection will be realized only when Jesus returns. That's their comment on chapter 1, verse 4. Now, this might be a brand new thought for you. You may have never thought that that's what James was saying here. If it's a brand new thought, you just weigh it, do some more study this week. But my conclusion is that verse 4 is talking about heaven. The time when we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is talking about heaven. That's what is, on, is in James' mind as he's describing this verse. So steadfastness is such a precious gift because through giving us steadfastness, God ensures that we will have the steadfastness we need to make it all the way to heaven. Think about it like this. Before we were saved, we were on the road leading to destruction the road leading to hell. We were all there because of our sin. That's the road we were on. And then, even though we didn't deserve it, in great love and mercy, God sent Jesus who paid for our sins. And because of what Jesus did, God reached down from heaven with his power and he changed our hearts and he gave us faith and he lifted us off of that road to destruction and he put us on this road, the road to heaven. Now we're on the road to heaven, okay? So before us, we see this road and, and there's heaven. There's the pearly gates, there's Jesus Christ, and we're going to be with Jesus Christ forever. We're going to be face-to-face -face with him. Now, think of what it will be like to be with Jesus Christ. We sang about it this morning in some of those songs, but think of what it'll be like. Every believer, as we take time to pray and to read God's word and to worship, doesn't always happen, but we will have times when God pours his spirit out upon us. 
and we sense his presence and we see his glory and we feel his love. And at those moments, we can be, we're, we're fully satisfied. Our hearts are overflowing with rivers of living water. We're filled. We don't need anything else. Jesus, you're all I need. You're all I want. I have you. Thank you. At those moments. Now, now feel that. Remember, we've had those. When you're standing before Jesus Christ face to face, what you experience then will be far greater than the best moments you've had in Jesus' presence here. Because when you see him face to face, and when he wipes every tear from your eyes, and when you look around, massive number that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and we're all falling down on our face to worship Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain, the joy that we will have at that moment face to face in the very presence of Jesus Christ will far surpass even the best and highest moments we've had in this life. And that's coming. You're on the road. Look down, to, look down the road. There it is. You're on the road. It's coming. Okay, but now here's the problem. The road to heaven is long. The road to heaven is hard. We have to climb hills, steep hills, rocky, steep hills of obedience. We have to slog through quicksand of temptation, right? Is the road to heaven hard? It is hard. And we need steadfastness if we're going to make it. And God has promised that you are going to make it. Everyone he saves makes it to the end. And one of the reasons is because God gives us all the steadfastness we need, and he does that through refining our faith through trials. So here you are, long road, difficult road, steep hills, quicksand. How am I going to make it? Go through a trial, steadfastness comes. Your faith is refined, and you have more steadfastness. So not only is my faith more refined now than it was last Friday, I have more steadfastness now than I had last Friday. God's going to keep giving me all the steadfastness I need through every trial that I face, so I'm going to keep going. No one who gets saved doesn't make it. If you're saved, if you're trusting Jesus right now, 100% for certain sure, you're going to be there. You're going to make it up that hill. You're going to slog through that quicksand. You're going to make it all the way to the ends because through the trials God gives you, he will refine your faith and give you the steadfastness that you need. That's what James is saying here. So, every trial is a gift from God of the steadfastness you need to persevere all the way to heaven. Have you realized that about trials? This is so important. This is a radically revolutionary, different way to look at trials. And it's true. It's absolutely true. Now, there's lots more we could say about trials. I mean, we could talk about how Jesus comforts us through trials, and he does. We could talk about how Jesus sometimes will deliver us from trials, and sometimes he delivers us from trials, just lifts them away from us. We could talk about how he will provide everything we need as we're going through the trials, wisdom, finance, whatever it might be. He'll give us everything we need, strength, through those trials. But what James focuses on here is something else, that God's purpose for every trial is to give you all the steadfastness that you need to make it to heaven. God loves you. He sent Jesus to save you. 
He is going to bring you to heaven. He's going to give you everything you need to persevere. And one of the ways he does that is through trials, refining our faith, and giving us steadfastness. Now, trials are hard because they, they take something away from us, right? Like money and convenience if you get a flat tire, money and convenience taken away. Uh, finances, security, if you lose your contract, loss there. Uh, the pain and the suffering that can come from sickness. Trials are hard because they take something from us. And so often we can just think of what we've, what we've lost because the trial costs us. And we can sorrow over that, nothing wrong with that. But even bigger in our minds should be the trials is God giving us something. Every trial is a gift from God of refined faith, which gives us the steadfastness we need to persevere all the way to heaven. So trials aren't just loss. Trials are a precious gift from God of the steadfastness that we need. And when you see Jesus face to face, his majesty and his love and his glory, his beauty, his power, his dominion, his kingdom, what you see in Jesus Christ is so magnificent that seeing him will be worth every trial and you will fall down at his feet and thank him for every trial you've experienced. He is worth it all. Now, how should we respond to trials then? Let me give you four steps, okay? Very important. First, ask God to help you. You cannot do this just by gritting your teeth and trying. You can't. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come and to change our hearts and to help us. And God will pour the Spirit out upon us as we ask him. And, and don't, so, so pray. And as I was talking to Jan about this yesterday, she she said, let's, let's make sure that we understand. Don't just pray while you're like changing the diaper or you know, pray while you're driving to work. I mean, don't stop praying during those times, but, but take time where you set everything else aside and just, Father, I'm going through a trial now. Help me. Strengthen me by your spirit. Help me to get every benefit that you have for me through this trial. I don't want to waste this trial. Help me. So take time to really pray and he will answer. He will strengthen you. So first, ask God to help you. Second, understand that God has allowed this trial in order to give you steadfastness. See the trial that way. So it's not just trial has cost you something, but it's going to gain you something. Refined faith and steadfastness. So understand that that's why God has lovingly, wisely allowed this trial to come, because he has a gift of steadfastness for you. So don't waste your trial. Let's go for that gift by third let the trial refine your faith. Okay, don't just grit your teeth and kind of muscle your way through it. Don't just try to be, you know, all positive. Everything's fine. I'm, I'm good, smiling. That misses the point. That doesn't refine your faith, and it won't bring steadfastness. Take time to let the trial show you how temporary and insecure money is, health is, villas are, jobs are, people are, friendships are, whatever it might be. Lord, remind me, show me how temporary and insecure everything else is. Show me that. Help me to feel that. So I see that you are the rock. You are my refuge. You're my God. I'm going to trust you all the more. And as you do that, faith is purified and steadfastness comes. So let the trial refine your faith. 
And then fourth, let, let the gift of steadfastness and then the certainty of heaven fill you with joy as you're going through the trial. Every saved person is going to make it to heaven. No doubt about that. God's promised. And one of the reasons is because God will bring trials to purify your faith so that you have more steadfastness. So think about heaven. Think about being with Jesus Christ face to face. You will look back on your life, as I said earlier, and you will thank God for that trial. And thank you for that trial. And thank you, because you'll see how steadfastness was given. Steadfastness was given. Steadfastness was given. You were able to keep persevering. Keep persevering. God's going to give you everything, all the steadfastness you need, and you're going to enter into heaven and fall at Jesus' feet and say, thank you, I'm home. Now, let's have the worship team come up. I want us to close by worshiping with a very important song that talks about Christ alone. I'm going to come in here. The cornerstone. See, it says, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. And the first line is, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So let's stand. Here's what I want us to do. As we're singing this song, let's right now, you've you got trials you're going through right now. So let's take some time right now as we're singing this song and let this be a time where we are setting our hope all the more firmly on Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, anything else out there, but I wholly trust in Jesus' name. And as we worship with these truths, ask the Holy Spirit to come and refine your faith and to give you the steadfastness that you need. So we will leave here today more purified in faith, more refined in faith, with more steadfastness, ready for the, the mountains of obedience this week, ready for the quicksand of temptations this week, with all the steadfastness that we need. So God, come right now as we're singing this song. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, I pray. Touch each heart that's here, we ask. In Jesus' name.